Well, there are many programs and there are many methods that promise to be the key to progress or growth. I mean, if we want to lose weight, if you want to, uh, if you want to achieve the next big goal, there are millions of programs that you can choose from. And all of them promise to be the silver bullet in helping you figure that thing out. If you want to lose weight, hey, I promise in these two easy steps, or if you purchase this $55 program or $155 program, whatever it is, you will see results. You will shed that fat. You'll get rid of the spare tire. Whatever it is, they promise you. If we want to learn to type, if you want to learn to play an instrument, if you want to learn, if you want to even get a degree, lots of different curricula or colleges will guarantee your success through using them. Hey, we, our students, our graduates, they have the highest job placement rate. You've probably heard that before. I heard that as a student. Hey, go to this school, they'll promise you the best jobs. And I found, though, that the same thing applies in our spiritual lives, and it, and it applies for the church, and it's very often that church leaders or ministry gurus, that they will, they will promote this, this novel idea, they will promote this new method or process or a class as the best way to achieve growth. It might be a tradition that they validate because they don't want to let go of it or because they've seen some tremendous benefit from it. It might be a program that they simply want to sell you because they believe that God has given it directly to them from himself. And they're not bad things. Programs, processes, schools, methods, models. None of those things are bad, but... I think it's important that we spend some time in the Bible looking at what are some of the ways that that God wants to see his people grow. And we talk about this a lot in the church world, in our circles, in Bible studies that you may be a part of, uh, in conversations that you have with with friends who, who know and love Jesus, who are growing in their faith. You talk about this in your small groups. You talk about this in your classes. Uh, we, we talk about spiritual growth and the process of it a lot. And in some ways, we talk about it so much that it can just become another noise in our life. Another thing, another, another person, another process that we're talking about or that we keep talking about. And so this morning, I, I want to continue that conversation, a conversation that we've had for, for quite some time about spiritual growth and what it looks like. And, and honestly, what I hope to do this morning is take a little bit of time and lay out why we go about spiritual growth the way that we go about spiritual growth here at West Hill. And so that first question that I want you to think about this morning is simply, how do we grow spiritually? How do you grow spiritually? Is it, is it coming to church on Sundays? Is it the Bible study that you attend? Is it, is it you know, that latest book that you're reading? Is it something more significant than that? I mean, is it, is it gender-specific ministry? Is it men's ministry? Is it women's ministry? Is, is it children's or even student ministry? I mean, are, are these the only ways that we can grow spiritually? Is it just our private life? What we do privately as far as spiritual disciplines go? Is that, are those the only ways? The second question is, how do we grow relationally? Well, I guess the first step would be people. You have to know people. You have to be in relationship with people in order to grow relationally. If you don't have friends, if you're not a friend, then you're not going to grow relationally. So how do we grow spiritually? How do we grow relationally? And then how do we grow missionally? How do we grow missionally? What are we involved in? What do we engage in? Is Is it getting involved in something bigger 
than you. It's getting involved in something bigger than us, even. Is it generosity? Is it serving? How would you answer those three questions? And here's a newsflash. We would all answer that question and know those three questions with, with different answers. Because you have a process. You have something that you've learned. You have something that you've applied. Maybe you've learned in church. Maybe you've learned from a close friend. But we would all answer those questions just a little bit differently. But there are some core pieces to these answers that are all the same. They're all rooted in a foundational piece. And that's why we want to go to the Bible and talk about that. So we're going to talk about these three questions over the next few weeks. And hopefully, I want to, I want to hopefully provide you with, with some things to think about, one. And then I hope to inspire you during this series called In This Together. So if you have a Bible, find Acts chapter 2. We have been in Acts chapter 2 a lot lately, in the last nine months specifically. And so we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2 and, and spend a little more time talking about what we see taking place here in and through the early church. I want to go back to where it all began. I want to, I want to take us here in 2022 and, and what our church looks like today, and I want to go back to, to where Jesus started this whole thing. We're sitting here today because Jesus started this, this movement, that he, he ignited this passion in the apostles to proclaim the gospel and see people saved and to see lives changed and to do a work that only Christ can do. And so, and so Jesus, as we know, he lives through the gospels. We have the storyline in the gospels of Jesus' life, his birth and his life, the ministry that he did. And we see that he, he gives his life on the cross of Calvary to to, to pay for the sins of mankind. And then after he rises from the dead, he spends 40 days teaching and encouraging the apostles. And he gives them their final instructions. He gives them their marching orders. He gives them direction on what are the next steps. What are they called to do? What is his purpose in this world? And then he ascends back to heaven. It would have been a whole lot cooler if he would have stayed, by the way. It'd be really cool if he was on the stage right now. But he leaves. And he promises, as we talked about last summer in Acts chapter 1, and then in Acts chapter 2, he promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out on his people. He's unleashed. And then Peter preaches his first sermon, and the church begins. And so if you want to read all that, I would encourage you to read chapter 1 and chapter 2 up until verse 41. And verse 41 is where we are going to pick up together this morning. So Peter is preaching, and Luke is writing all of this down. Luke is, is investigating, he's interviewing, he's talking to all of those who spent time with Jesus. And so here's what Luke says about Peter's sermon in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning in response to your word that we just read. God, I pray that you would teach us this morning. God, that your word would, would be a light to our feet Lord, that we would, we would trust it, that we would read it, that we would listen to it, that we would apply it. But above all, we would just simply obey. And that we would submit to you. And so God, I pray that you would speak through me, your servant this morning, and that your people would be encouraged. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's talk about spiritual growth for just a moment. 
There are several ways that this happens. We talked about a few of those just a moment ago as we, as we began our time together. There's a lot of different ways that we can grow spiritually. It, it can be personally, it can be on a corporate level, and it can be on a relational level. But one thing is certain. Spiritual growth begins somewhere. And spiritual growth always and will always begin with the person of Jesus Christ. We grow in knowledge about Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter writes, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where it always begins. That is the foundation. Jesus Christ alone is the foundation for your growth and my growth. If we start anywhere else, we are starting in the wrong place. First, you have to know him. You have to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. He is the king. He is in charge. He is the authority in your life. But you have to give him your life. You have to call on him to save you. And so it starts with you knowing him as Savior. He is our Redeemer. And so we build on that foundation. And then we know him more and more by following him. By looking at his life, we see his, we see his life in the Gospels. We see his story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It all points back to the person of Jesus Christ. So we, we look to Jesus, we observe Jesus, we read his truth, and then we apply that truth to our lives. And so that is the bedrock for spiritual growth. But Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17, 18, and 19 say that we should root all that we are in him. Just listen to these verses. Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love, and that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all fullness. Everything is found and rooted and grounded in Christ, in his love. That's the example. So those are some of the foundational pieces. And then we grow through the truth that we find in the scriptures. You know this to be true. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, we see that we should long for the word so that we will grow. In, in verse 2 of, second, or of 1 Peter 2, it says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that it may cause you to grow. Do you long? Do you have a, a deep longing for more of Christ in your life today? And I think that's a, that's a question that, that we should all wrestle with. I, I have to wrestle with that question. When I'm preparing sermons and I'm preparing to preach this stuff to you all, I have to answer that question for myself. That's a hard question to answer. Do I truly long for more of him? Because as we learn to grow and as you work toward growth, it truly is rooted in what you desire and what you long for. Like a child who needs milk, we have to long for his pure word. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, many of you have this memorized, it says that we need to grow in every way possible. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ Growing in all aspects is a broad statement, right? I mean, if, like, grow up in every way. Okay, that's great. In what way? I mean, I, I feel overwhelmed just by reading that verse. To grow up in every way means, it really gives us a challenge. It gives me a challenge. Like, that Christ influences every single area of my life. Christ influences every single, every single room of your heart and your mind, or he should. Nothing is off limits 
not your marriage? That's a bummer because I was a jerk yesterday. He's supposed to influence that part of my life. He's supposed to influence your money and your career, your dating relationship. You see, nothing is off limits. That we need to grow up in every way possible through Christ. And then we grow in maturity. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 says, Therefore we are to leave the elementary teaching about the Christ and press on to or toward maturity. That word maturity in the Greek language, it simply means to become more intelligent or to pursue spiritual perfection. It truly could be translated as to pursue holiness. That we never get there, but we're constantly striving towards sanctification, being set apart, the process of becoming more holy. So we are to grow in that. You feeling a little overwhelmed? I don't want you to feel that way. I hope it's encouraging you that it's really not a 12-step process. It's really not a list of things that we do. It's simply Christ. It's just Christ. And he is the one alone that we look to for growth. John 15, verse 5, makes this so clear. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can follow all the 12-step processes. You can be extremely diligent. You can be so focused and do nothing. If you're doing it apart from Christ. And so that's the overall theme. That's the overall focus. And that's the overall challenge to this series called In This Together. And the first major thing that we want you to see this morning is we want you to devote yourself to spiritual growth. So are you devoted to spiritual growth? Look back at verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. It says, and they, that would be this, this ecclesia, this church, this assembled body, Fairly new, by the way, these 3,000 plus people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In the Greek, it actually reads that they were continually devoting themselves. That there was a devotion that was consistent and continual. It means to, to continue, to give oneself continually, or attend to continually. Now, one thing that's interesting in this text is is in this part of church history, they did not have the completed Bible yet. As a matter of fact, it would be about 300 years from the moment that the church is launched until the completion of what we call our Bibles. So what did they do? They listened to the apostles' teaching. Those who had been with Christ and those who had been taught by those who had been with Christ. They had old, some Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have the completed Bible like we do today. We can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because we can read all the things that they taught. We can have this personal Bible study time on a daily basis. We can have worship on the weekends, and we can grow in those areas. We can, we can grow in our service, in, in service to this body specifically that we're a part of. And, and for the last several years here at West Hill, uh, we have implemented an intentional opportunity for spiritual and relational growth, which is going to be talked about in just a minute. So we devote ourselves to spiritual growth. And then the second part of this is devote yourself to spiritual growth in community. So there's two parts to this process. Now, this word for, this word community, some don't like the word community. It can often be misunderstood in our culture, 
And since the church uses it differently, and how the culture sometimes uses it, I want to I take a moment to define what I mean by this so we're all on the same page. Uh, it's basically a synonym for the word fellowship or for close fellowship. It's, it's ongoing relationship, togetherness. It's all centered around something specific, though. It's all centered around Jesus and his gospel. To point out the opposite, though, to describe what community is not is what we have with so many awesome people in this room right now. What we have out in the main lobby as we're walking to the cafe. I mean, we have friends, we have acquaintances, even good feelings towards so many people who we say hi to on Sunday mornings. But we are not in this fellowship or this community with those people. In the broad context, we are a community of faith. But that's not what fellowship is referring to. You are in community with those who you are close to. Now, most of the New Testament was written to a group of people who were doing life together in close proximity. They were in fellowship, koinonia. They were, they were doing life together. This was a relational community. That's what fellowship meant in the context that we read about in Acts chapter 2. So here's what, here's what spiritual growth in community looks like and what it helps us do. So the first thing is simple. We grow together to be motivated toward love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25, they say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now we are called to be doers of the word, we know that, and we are, we are called to encourage others to do the same, and we need motivation to do that. Being involved in a close community helps this happen. And it's very hard to do when you're not in a community. You can't do this. You can't motivate someone to love and good deeds solely with a really encouraging social media post. You must have relationship. You have to be in community to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's why me just preaching this stuff isn't just enough. It has to go further. It has to go deeper. But it's very hard to do motivation toward love and good deeds when we're not in a community. So we grow together to be motivated toward love and good deeds, and then we grow together to become fully mature. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, it says, He is the one we proclaim, He being Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Maturity is found in Christ and his example. We've been talking, we talked about that earlier in this talk, in this message. That we observe his example and we imitate his heart. That he must increase and we must decrease. But this verse is really clear about the fact that we can all learn from someone else. That someone else and their experience, their wins and their failures, they, they matter. And when we live in a spiritual community, we have the opportunity to provide a setting where people can know someone's struggles and then have the chance to admonish and encourage and teach that person. That's what this verse is teaching to admonish and teach through the lens of experience, but filtered by the truth of Jesus Christ. 
Now I want you to look around the room just for a minute. Go ahead, look around the room. I know it's awkward. Make eye contact with somebody. How many people do you know well enough to know if they are struggling this morning? Please don't let that discourage you, but I want you to think about that. How many people do you know well enough to know if they're struggling this morning? Struggling with life in general? Struggling with some type of, 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 of sin or addiction? Or maybe it's struggling with a spiritual topic all in itself? Here's what's true. You can't and you won't be able to know every single person in the room that way. But you can know a few. Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And that's a great statement because the reality is, no matter how hard we try, you will never know everyone in this room this morning. And so the pressure's off, by the way, to to know everyone's deepest needs. It's impossible. Whether it's a big church or a small church, it won't happen. So we grow together to be motivated toward love and good deeds, and we grow together to become fully mature, but in a spiritual community, we grow together in other ways. We grow together through prayer. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that they all join together constantly in prayer. This connects to what Paul says later, that they were praying without ceasing, that it is this attitude, this spirit of being prayerfully aware, of being responsive to the spirit that is, as he leads you and as he guides you, that you are just you, you pray consistently and constantly. That doesn't mean we walk around the hallways just praying all the time. But it means that there is this consistent prayer focus. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread. Every Baptist loves that line. I grew up with all those annoying jokes. You know, potlucks are right here in Acts chapter 242. And the prayers gluttony's written in there too, like that's okay, you know, those types of things. We're going to talk a little bit more about prayer next week, but there is, a, there is a need for devotion to prayer. And we grow when we pray. And then lastly, we grow together to encourage and build each other up. We grow together to encourage and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. So this church clearly in, in Thessalonica had this posture and this, this characteristic about them. That they were, they were encouraging each other and they were building each other up. You see, spiritual growth is meant to build up the body. Encouragement and building up, it's hard to find today. It's really hard to find encouraging, wholesome, life-building talk in culture, in media. It's difficult But the church is supposed to look different. We are supposed to encourage and build each other up. So are you encouraging and building others up in an intentional way? But you have to be positioned in the right places in order to do that. And when we do these things... It causes our faith to grow. It causes us to grow spiritually. That together, we motivate others toward love and good deeds. Together, we can become fully mature. Together, we can consistently have a posture of prayer. And together, we can encourage and build each other up. Now, none of those things can happen if we're out of community, or fellowship, if you prefer that word, or if we're isolated. 
isolation is the, the biggest killer to growth and community and fellowship. Proverbs 27 reminds us that iron sharpens iron so one person can sharpen another. Now, here's something that I want you to think about. How did it go the last time someone you didn't really know tried to sharpen you? (laughs) This happens to me all the time. People love to make judgments on me based on what they see, like, in a 60-minute window on a Sunday. And then they try to encourage me and build me up and tell me how I'm failing in so many areas when they don't see the other six, seven days, the other 160 plus hours throughout the week. I don't particularly love it. It's not fun. But the best way for sharpening to happen is through the context of community. And we believe that is wrapped up in what we call here at West Hill our small groups. And a large percentage of you are involved in those small groups. And we're so thankful that you are. But we have so many this morning who are not. And and I would like to inspire you to consider joining a small group. Or maybe answer the question as to why you're not or haven't joined one yet. And it's not just because we want to see this part of our church church grow. Uh, We, we, 60 plus percent of our adult uh, members or attenders in this church are already a part of a small group, which is pretty awesome. But it's because the reason we want to see, the reason I as your pastor want to see you consider this is because it's one of the main patterns and one of the main processes that we see for growth modeled in our New Testament. It's what we see in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 5, and all throughout the, the, the New Testament letters to the churches. It's undeniable that this life-on-life community thing was really important to Jesus and the church leaders. And we want our church to be a reflection of that. It's my desire that our church would would reflect what we see in those early churches as much as we can, by the way. Because we don't even know what their church services actually look like. And so there's a lot of it that's open to interpretation and perspective and preference even. But we hear often that so many in the room don't understand what small groups are at West Hill and how they function. And I think there's some reasons for that. There, we, there, there have been different types of groups that have met here in the past. Cell life would be one of those things, and, and, and that was a great thing for our church, but that's not what our in-home adult small groups are today. And so there's been some confusion about that. Some have said, I'm already in a small group. Well, you might be in a group of small amounts of people, but it's not what we're, we're doing today in the context of small groups. And so, if there's some confusion about that, hopefully this morning, a little bit of that will be cleared up. So we wanted to take some time to explain it. I wanted to take some time to explain what they are and how they work. Now, this doesn't mean that the way other churches do small groups are wrong. The way we do them here is simply just what our leadership has prayerfully felt led to do, and we feel it's best for our particular church body. Now, there can be so many right ways to do small groups. And our desire simply is to help people grow spiritually and then connect relationally. Because spiritual growth happens best together. And the sole purpose of small groups is to develop this disciples. So here's, here's how we define it. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Christ. And we believe this devotion is best cultivated through spiritual growth done together. Not just in this building, although it does happen here in this building, but we believe this is best cultivated through authentic biblical community with accountability and love because we are better together. Now, some of you who are in small groups, you could come up here and you could probably preach this way better than I can. But we were made for relationships. That's modeled in in Genesis chapter 3. It's not good for man to be alone. 
And no matter what stage of life or of spiritual growth you may be in this morning, discipleship has always happened best in smaller groups of people. Now, West Hill's small group is the basic expression of, of our church, supporting our mission and furthering the vision of, of leadership and where we believe God is leading us. Because our mission at West Hill is simple. It's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Our strategy is even more simple. Build, share, and bring. We want to build relationships, share stories, and bring others to come and see, know, and experience who Jesus is. And a healthy, biblical small group will complement the vision by having an intentional focus on developing disciples through spiritual growth biblical community, and outreach. What we do right now on Sundays is important. It's absolutely vital that we gather together to worship together. It's God's idea, by the way. But small groups or meeting in homes or having a close relational community is also biblical, and it was also God's idea. Now, some would use the argument, and there's some truth to this. Well, the early church didn't have buildings like this to, to meet in. They could have built them, and they did meet in large buildings. They did meet in the temple. They could have had big building programs and decided not to have the house-to-house -house relational part that we see all throughout the New Testament. They could have done that. That's not what they did. And so what we do here is important, absolutely. But they shouldn't work against each other. They should work together. They complement each other. They both have a specific purpose. Now, small, small groups do not replace the weekend service, but they build upon it by allowing our growth or our faith to grow and to dive deeper into the message with other disciples. This is... This is actually the very reason why some churches don't adopt a small group ministry. Because they fear that people will go to small group and skip church on Sundays. Which is a terrible reason for not having small groups, by the way. Because if you're truly becoming a disciple, won't you intentionally be not forsaking the things that God says that we think <laughs> are important? So if you're growing in your faith, that shouldn't be a problem. Now, small groups are filled with people who I believe, because I've seen it happen, that are more effectively mobilized when needs arise inside of our church body and even in our community. Now, as a pastor, I've been doing this for about 20 years. I've seen all the different methods and processes that exist for, for connecting and meeting everyone's needs inside the church. And I just haven't—it hasn't been done better than how it has been done in the last four or five years through the context of our small groups. We've had things like single moms whose cars have blown up. And inside of our small group ministry, we've raised the money to purchase that single mama car and get the car running for them. We've seen groceries purchased, bills paid, house mortgages covered. We've seen all kinds of things taken care of through the context of these small communities called small groups. Our small groups have been the main way that those needs have been met in our church. Even missions and evangelism and even care for one another on a spiritual relational level has been best done through these small groups of believers. Now you might be asking, what actually is a small group? If you're not in one, you may not know. Well, a small group is a small group. It's a gathering of fellow disciples who are intentionally going through the Christian life more deeply together. Throughout the New Testament, we are told to love God, to love others, and to go and make disciples. We see that in Matthew 28. And there, and there are more definitions for discipleship than I even have time to cover this morning. But discipleship is not really about knowledge. Discipleship really isn't about 
a class or, or you know, a specific gender ministry that we may have. It's a life-on-life thing. It's an investment that someone makes in someone else on a very intentional level. It's not just doing things like church and classes or Bible studies or even just going to small group. You can do those things and not be a disciple. But it's very hard to be in a spiritual community of believers who are challenging each other to grow and not grow in discipleship. Now, this isn't to say that if you're not in a small group, that you're not really a disciple. It's not what we're saying. This also doesn't mean that you don't start growing until you join a small group. No matter where you are spiritually this morning, we can all grow to become more deeply devoted followers. We can grow at any stage of our walk and grow deeper from there. Can you become a disciple outside of small groups? Absolutely. So please hear that this morning. Many have, but I've seen it be more effective in small groups because honestly, the process is set up for you. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 242. Without a small group, you have to, you have to alone search out your own regular group of people to have biblical community with and implement your own content for growth and study and coordinate your own schedule with each individual who is involved, which every pastor and really everybody in the room knows just ends up not happening in most cases. It's not that other ministries can't help someone. There are lots of programs, there are lots of activities that we could do that someone could get encouragement from. But where do we put our energy and what is making the most difference or worth our efforts? Those are questions that I ask all the time as a spiritual leader. And so as we look at Acts, we look at the book of Acts, the church that, that came out of Jerusalem and Samaria, this was a part of who they were. This community was important to them. The descriptions of church life were very exciting and inspiring, even amid persecution. They met regularly together, corporately and relationally, and it was a beautiful thing. But spiritual growth happens best together. We believe this is because people connect better in circles than in rows, that life is better connected. And as I said, we don't just believe that. We've seen that to be true. So that's what we see. So here's, here's some things that I hear all the time. Small groups are, are they're not just having some fun together. They're not just eating a meal together. They're not just learning a little bit more about God together or just meeting new friends. While none of those things are bad and they they do happen, just adding something else into our church calendar or to your schedule isn't really worth anyone's time. That we won't waste our efforts on anything less than a biblically-based ministry that follows the Bible's plan for developing disciples. So our small group, our small group ministry's goal is to intentionally join in God's mission together through a devotion of God's word to God's word and a devotion to each other. That's the mission of our small groups. Replicating as close as we can the model that we see in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament church. The goal is simple. It's for believers to grow, for our believers and the groups to experience some simple things. Deeper fellowship with each other, growth through studying the Bible together, faith-centered prayer. Every small group guide has a focus on prayer and sharing prayer needs and praying for those things as a group and then missional community outreach. Jesus modeled this type of discipleship, by the way. Jesus taught the masses But he spent his disciple-making time with very small groups of believers. That's the model that Jesus set. Now, how do our small groups function? Well, we spent an entire 
year researching and interviewing and church leaders in different churches on what would work best for us. And so our small groups meet during the week in homes with 10 to 15 adults, sometimes more and sometimes less. There's usually food involved, so that's great. (laughs) And they meet two months on, and then there's one month that they're off. That's not a biblical process. We just built that in so it would give our leaders a break. So our next session is coming up. It's April and May, and then we're going to be off in June. And so we provide those off months so our leaders don't burn out. The groups discuss content that is based off of the content from the main stage here. Whoever's preaching, whether it's me or one of our other pastors, it says in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is why we use sermon-based content. It's not that what we have to say is the most important things going on in this world, but it's what we are learning together as a body that we want to promote, and that promotes unity. Some churches do it differently. Some use a vetted menu of Bible studies and books, and, and, and neither of those things are wrong. It's just not how we do it here. So the question is, will you join a group? Other than our main corporate gathering in this room right now on a Sunday morning, our in-home adult small groups will continue to be one of the most focused on areas of our church in the future. Because here's the facts. We will never, let me repeat that, we will never be able to know or have deep relationships with everyone in this room. No matter how many services we add, no matter how many potlucks we have, it won't happen. And let me tell you this, this is going to sound bad, but our goal is to not have everyone connected with everyone. It's not possible. So we won't waste our efforts there. Do you think the 3,000 people that were saved in Acts chapter 2 all knew each other deeply? Nope. What about the 5,000 that were added several chapters after that? This was a pretty large church. These close-knit groups was the glue that held it together. So let me encourage you to consider joining a small group. And for biblical purposes, we believe that it's best to do life together. Our student ministry understands the importance of intentional community and discussing content from their messages. And so this is Katie's story. Being in my small group, it can seem like intimidating at first. We're all throwing out different things, different topics, and we're all talking about something different. And at first, it's kind of scary. Do I talk about like what I'm feeling or do I just like present this like picture of myself once like you actually start to like open up and like be real it's very encouraging because you know the other people in your group are also being real with you and they want you to grow I realized how impactful small groups are in my life when I was on a church event with another church I was with a bunch of girls that I had no idea who any of them were the message that night was kind of similar to what we've been talking about in Elevate they were just like, I like was just participating in conversation and like saying things I learned through small group. They were just like, you like know what you're talking about. And it just made me realize that not everybody has what we have. Small groups have helped me grow my faith because it made me like more confident talking about my faith and feeling confident about what I'm saying and what I believe. It's not just I believe this because I believe it. Like it's, I believe this because I've been challenged in this. It just questions me to like know what I believe. The people in my small group push me to grow because they constantly like challenge me. I might bring up a topic and they'll be like, well, why? Like, and they also push me to grow because they keep me like accountable throughout the week and they keep me consistent. The most impactful thing about small group is having people that you know are gonna text you throughout the week doing you have people that want you to grow in your relationship with Christ and they see how you're growing and they encourage you. 
I definitely have a very personal relationship with my small group leaders. I know that I can text them whenever and they'll respond and they also are there to like help encourage me and they check up on me and they love me and they, they know what it's like to be in high school. I noticed I was growing because of small group when I started living it out in my life. It changed how I lived. It made me feel less alone and encouraged me to keep wanting to grow. Small group is for everyone. We all go through life and we all have to deal with something. It would make no sense for a perfect person to have to go to small group. Jesus didn't come to save the saint, he came to save the sinner. Going through life with your small group, those people are also dealing with the same things that you're dealing with. Here's what's true. Spiritual growth happens best together. You may say, hey listen, small groups are not for me, I'm not a people person, or you know, I don't really need more friends, or they're just, they're just not my thing. I just wanna encourage you, give them a try. Will you at least prayerfully consider joining a group? You can do that at mywhbc.com forward slash small groups. We got a few weeks before they start back up and somebody from our lovely team will contact you and let you know where you can go, how you can get involved. But here's one thing that's certain. Small groups were God's idea. Maybe not exactly how we do them, but this living life together in community, it's not Zach's idea. We can grow together in community. So will you consider? Will you consider? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together today, to read your word, to look at the early church, to see how they lived and how they worshiped, how they encouraged one another, how they strengthened one another. God, it's your church. So use it as you see fit. And blessed as you see fit. God, I pray that we would be faithful to spiritually growing in our relationship with you, but that we would be doing that together in community as you designed us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.